We're going to now open up God's Word, and we've got two Bible readings today. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 to 22. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And our second reading is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Thank you, Kat. Um, I need that Coke for later, actually, but not to drink. You'll find out why. We had some great discussions after last week's talk. Uh, which, um, so if you weren't here, then have a listen, and if you were, um, I'm really glad that you've been thinking about it all week, and I'm glad that I've made you think about um, our bodies in perhaps a new way, uh, and I hope to kind of fill in some blanks today, because there's some things that I didn't say, and uh, I know you may have more questions, and we didn't get through that, uh, and that's okay. Um, we'll hopefully kick that around a bit more this morning. But please do jump on the hub if you haven't got the talk outline. It's always helpful to do that. Um, Remember that you can still jump online and answer the question as well to win the book a bit later on. So if you you haven't answered the question um, about your favourite psalm and why, uh, then do it while I'm talking or just afterwards to get... Uh, can go on the chance to win Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin 12, Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion. So do jump on and you can walk away with that. Next week is our final in the series and Steve McAlpine is speaking to us and his book we can win is called Being the Bad Guys, How to Live in a World for Jesus that Says You Shouldn't. So do uh, answer the question next week as well. Uh, last week is, is a kind of a way of recap. We explore the idea that God is sovereign over our bodies and the brokenness in our bodies. From disability to sickness, sin, unwanted desires, even a body that works well, God is sovereign over your body and nothing is outside of his authority. And I say that not because it's, 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 not because it's easy to make sense of what's happening to us, We may not understand what's going on in our bodies or why God allows what he has and what his purposes are. Yet there is comfort in knowing the God who is at work in and through all things, all things in our bodies, for his glory and our good. We saw in Psalm 139 that we can never escape God's presence. He always meets us where we're at no matter how frail we might feel, as Psalm 103 reminded us as well. And there's a tension in saying that. And I want to acknowledge that and with great compassion say that because I know it's a struggle for many of you and you've seen the struggle in others. Life's complex. It's not always as simple 
as an answer like that. And there's a tension when we think about our physical bodies with what they are right now, with God's intent, and with what they will be. But I hope you can see that it's not all bad news for our bodies. God offers us a vision for your body that ultimately says this life is not the only one that you're going to have with your body. And knowing that helps you live well today and give you the hope that the best is yet to come. We're going to explore that today, God's vision for our bodies and kind of bump into that a little bit and and really dig into this, our body's idea and what God thinks of them one more time. A couple of ways that our culture views the body and we'll survey two of them and I'll give you another vision I think that God is giving us. But here's how you may uh, have heard of people talk, you've spoken yourself about the body. Um, The first thing you might hear is, my body, my choice. My body, my choice. Now, of course, there's lots of good, appropriate ways to apply that. Behind this, of course, lies the idea of personal autonomy, that we have the final authority over our body. Following on from that is the next one that says, my body is an amusement park. Maybe you've seen the t-shirt. My body exists, behind this thinking, is for pleasure. I will live like, like an Epicurean or a hedonist avoiding anything that doesn't make me happy or feel pleasure. But I want to offer another vision for our bodies, one that agrees with bits and pieces of both. It's the idea that my body, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis, writing in 1950, uh, summarized both these ideas really well and how God's authority and purpose for our body plays out. He says... uh, In some of the quotes on the screen, he says, I know some muddle-headed Christians, I like how he says that, muddle-headed Christians have talked as if Christianity thought that sex or the body or pleasure were bad in themselves. But they're wrong. Christianity thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took on a human body, that some kind of body is going to be given to us, even in heaven, and is going to be an essential part of our happiness, beauty, and energy. The claim that Christianity makes is that we have a body given to us by God, which means it's not just my body, you see. Yes, free to make decisions about my body, but the Christian view says, as I submit to God, joyfully to his intent. And we have a body that's made for pleasure. Did you know that? But it's a vision of pleasure that says all those little pleasures in this life that you can enjoy are signals to a far greater joy found in God himself. And should we fail to experience pleasure in our bodies, as is a very real thing for some of you, maybe through sickness or accident, you can still flourish as a human under God because the hope is not just in a pleasurable life now, but the best is yet to come. And so what's wonderful about seeing ourselves as the temple of God, and we'll kick that around in a moment, is that Christianity doesn't say change your mind or behavior to think like that. Don't just be more positive. It says be bought by Jesus. It says your body needs a new master over and in them. Which means what we're getting at is that our body has been bought with a price. And that's a hard thing to hear if you think about it because it sounds undignifying and degrading to say that you've been bought and belong to someone else, doesn't it? 
especially God, if God exists and if he's real. That's a pretty horrible thing, isn't it? And to answer that question, we won't start with our bodies, actually. Uh, We're going to start with one of the central claims of Christianity that God put on a body. Theologians call this the incarnation, and it literally means into meat, carne, meat. Um, And we talk about this at Christmas time, don't we? Especially at Christmas, when Jesus was born. And every Christmas, we declare as Christians that God, that Jesus, sorry, is the embodied God of the universe. Moreover, we also say that when God put on a body, it was the ultimate compliment that God could ever pay the human body to. The ultimate compliment because God put one on. And we see this really clearly in our first reading for today in Colossians 1, 19-22. There's a stress in these passages of the physical body of Jesus. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell and the idea that Christ has reconciled us in a physical body. This is one of the strongest statements in all of the Bible about the deity of Jesus. That's saying that Jesus was both God and man, fully each. We sang about it in the Creed, which came about in the third century to rebuff Arianism, which was the belief that Jesus was not fully God. But our God, we claim, is one God, three in one. Not the idea of tritheism, of three separate gods that are making up one God, but that God himself, one God, three persons, same substance, essence, and nature. That this God humbled himself, entered into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, to identify with us as a servant for us. And it's only God that can limit himself and still be fully God, right? Moreover, even uh, Colossians 1.19 even says God took pleasure in doing this, did you see? For God was pleased to put on a body. He wasn't begrudgingly becoming human. He wasn't doing it out of frustration and anger, saying, oh, you better go now, second member of the Trinity, and become Jesus through a, a birth canal, <sighs> and then grow up as a kid, <sighs> you know, and then learn a trade. And walk around for 33 years and then die. Like he wasn't, that's not how God did it. It gave him the greatest pleasure to live like one of us. To take a body to redeem our very bodies. Because Jesus didn't turn up as a 30-year-old, ready-made human, popping out in the wilderness one day saying, Hey guys, I'm the Son of God. Guess what? I'm here. He was born. He grew up as a child and a teenager. He had a family. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He was stressed. He asked for information. He had compassion. He had friends. He went to parties. He learned a trade. He knew how to uh, hammer a, a, a wall together. He was a carpenter, bricklayer, stonemason. That's what he did. If we saw him, he'd walk down the road, probably with a lunchbox on the way to work as an 18-year-old, going to Joseph's shop, living in Galilee, fully human, but not merely human. He died on a cross, yes, like thousands before him had. But he rose from the dead in and with his body. He ascended into heaven where he still has that very same body today. N.T. Wright, a scholar, once made the comment that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't ditch his humanity like a space shuttle ditches its booster rockets after taking off. There is right now the human body of Jesus sitting in heaven, 
He will never leave his body. He will never be removed from his body. God thinks very highly of the body because Jesus has one, you see. But we also see why Jesus took a body. He has a body, but it was to reconcile all things, all creation, back to himself in verse 20 and 21. He took pleasure in becoming Jesus and in doing so made peace between us bodies and him. Reconciliation, it says. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This idea of reconciliation is the social side of justification. That is, our behavior as sinners means we're alienated and separate from God. And it wasn't just enough for Jesus to forgive our sin debt to God. He repaired the relationship. It means there is peace through Jesus' blood between God and humanity. And just to be really clear, this scope of reconciliation isn't just between you and God, but all creation. Everything in heaven and in earth, right? Which means your body as well. You see, all the ways that sin corrupts everything, Jesus' blood makes peace, reconciling it back to God. And the Christian message is that you, your body in fact, can be brought into harmony with God through the bodily death and resurrection of Jesus, who is himself the full God. And, as our verse goes on to say, your body is now considered holy in God's sight as a consequence, without blemish, free from accusation. Now, yes, you bear the scars and wounds, I'm sure, physical, mental, emotional, in your body because of what has happened to you. But because of Jesus' blood, they no no longer need to define you as a human. It's his wounds in his body that defines me. His righteousness is given or imputed to me, and that's what counts in my life now. I recall a young woman many years ago who said to me, she was about 20 or so, and she said, I remember when I was 10, and my dad said to me, you have a big butt. And for 10 years, she said, that has struck, stuck with me every single day of my life, accusing me of how I look. Every time I get dressed, I'm reminded of that. And as this young lady grew to know Jesus more and more, what she was beginning to see is that in Jesus, her body no longer needed to accuse her or exist as a reminder of what's been said about her. You see, before God, even with an imperfect body, we stand as one covered by Jesus' blood from his broken body. And we're reconciled by what he has done in his body, not our bodies, freed from any accusations that may come at us. Which means we stand safely in the presence of God, being known fully, completely by God, as Psalm 139 tells us. Warts and all, God sees you. And Jesus looks at you and he says, would you let me and my wounds define you? And then would you come to me and hide all the unrighteousness in my wounds? Which means the reconciliation of us to God in Jesus means that Jesus has now purchased our bodies for himself, which is where our second reading came in in 1 Corinthians. Jesus has bought our body. You are bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. In any other context, hearing you're not your own, that you've been bought with a price, is devastating news, isn't it? 
It indicates a lack of freedom and dignity and worth. You know, how, what's the price of a human body? What's the price of your hand or your legs or yourself? What is that? And it's always dissatisfying when you see your, maybe your life insurance report comes out and you realize, you know, they break it down, you know, if you lose your finger at work, you're worth 100000 If you lose your eye, it might be this. And you think, oh, it feels a little bit cheap to put a monetary figure on it. But when you apply this to Jesus, the opposite's the case. Nothing could be more dignifying and uplifting. His life, his body for us is the price. To belong to him is the greatest and highest blessing that we could ever hope for. Jesus has a body. Jesus has reconciled our bodies back to God. He's bought our body, in fact. But it gets even better than this because Jesus lives in our bodies too. Back in verse 19, he says, uh, Paul writes this and says, Do you not know... Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. By faith, our union with Jesus, with him, our bodies share his holiness, being filled with his spirit. Not just filled like a cup of water, but the passage says we're now like a temple. The very holy, sacred place where heaven and earth overlap and you meet God, that is now the Christian story. And what's so remarkable about Paul's language here is that that when you consider what a temple is and was, it's a very physical place. You visit a temple. You may have done that yourself in in, uh, in Asia or in South America or even in Rome if you've been to Europe. They've seen temples. They don't move. They're, They're very physical, strong things that just kind of sit there. We have a a curiosity with the divine and temples have always been a way of intersecting the two. But in Jesus, this all changes. No longer is a temple made of stone and wood in one location that needs sacrifices and offerings and travel to get to there. The claim of the Christian God is that he is able to live in people, making them mini temples, so to speak, of his spirit by the once for all sacrifice of Jesus' body which means the goodness and the holiness of God, which filled the temple back in the Old Testament, now spills out into all creation through his people living in all parts of the earth. We're shrines where God resides. That's what's behind the word temple. And that claim gives dignity and value to life such as nothing else could. David said in Psalm 139 that he can never escape God's presence. And Jesus comes and he just kicks it out the park. And says, David thought he couldn't escape God's presence. Well, how about this? I'll just kick that, the goalpost is here. I'm just going to kick it out out the footy field over in the car park because I'll live in you through my spirit. Which means, if that's the case, that we now live appropriately as the temple of God. We live lives designed to flourish as humans under God, fitting for holiness. As verse 20 says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Our culture loves the idea of freedom and value. They just don't like the idea of freedom under God or a dignity that comes from God. Because we're told to be free from our family and society's expectations Be free from pressures, be free from tradition, be free from religion, and just be you. And again, there's some good things in that. We're free to marry who we want, 
We're free to travel where we want, maybe, um, soon. You can live where you like. You don't have to follow the same business as your dad. You don't have to be a baker or a plumber just because your dad or mum were. But what makes that hard to answer and what puts so much pressure on us today is that we don't have clarity of what we're free to. And the Christian, Christianity says if there is no God, then it's up to chance and freedom means you create your own meaning. And of course you might say, well, I don't need God to find out what my purpose in life is. Lots of people live happily without God. But as our friend Sam Cham noted the other day, he says that trying to create your own purpose is like a nation that prints its own money. You can't generate wealth by printing it. We've seen that in the past, haven't we? The money by itself has no value unless it's linked to an external reference point. In the same way, we can't actually create our own purpose. We can try, but ultimately, it will be valueless unless it can be linked to an external reference point, which Christianity says is God's purpose for us. That is, a relationship with God gives us divine, eternal purpose. And Paul says that this comes with a responsibility. Not being our own means our body does not solely exist for our pleasure and purpose and agenda. It is your body. It does feel pleasure. But we're also made to glorify God with our body, not ourselves. Psalm 115 verse 1, one of my favorite psalms. Not to us, not to us, O God, but to you be given all the glory. And that's really good news. While our bodies might be broken, they couldn't have a higher dignity or purpose, you see, to glorify the creator of heaven and earth. Now, there is a curious verse at this point, if you're thinking of bodies and and glorifying God, that often gets thrown around. And, And it's a good verse, and I'll show you what it is. It says in 1 Timothy 4, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promises for both the present life and the life to come. And what's unfortunate about this verse is it's often used or has been used as a way to play down the importance of the physical body in spiritual matters. Paul doesn't say, don't look after your physical body. He says, when you do, there's value. Even if it's only temporary. Psalm 103, flower in the field. You can't forget that God has set your body to respond well to certain foods, exercise and sleep. He has not designed you to live off Coke and bunning sausages. You could try. It won't go well for you. But while a perfectly fun- functioning body isn't needed to know God, looking after our bodies actually helps facilitate godliness. To say it another way, a healthy body and lifestyle is an appropriate way to care for the body that God has given you and to help you work at godliness. I mean, maybe, maybe you know this at some level. You feel exhausted after your day and Netflix and wine's your medicine. How often in those exhausted moments is there a neglect of God in some way? Because being tired makes it very, very hard to take in God's word and read or pray. Have you ever felt like that? I have for a long time with very young kids. You just can't get through the slabs of what you would like to do in the Bible reading plan. So some days I'd say, Lord, I just need one verse. I'm so tired. Just give me one verse to suck on all day and think over. Because my physical body was drained and exhausted. And and if you're a mum, you feel that probably more than anyone else. God is all for stewarding our bodies well, as men and women. Jesus isn't wanting to make you busy, but to glorify God with our body. 
We exist for God's pleasure and purpose, not our own. Which means that we steward your, our bodies for God's glory physically and spiritually. They work together. Robert Murray McShaney was a preacher in Scotland in the early 19th century. Very fruitful. He wrote a Bible reading plan which is still used today and I use it every day. Um, but the fruitfulness was bound up with overwork and exhaustion and he died before he was 30. And as he was dying, he reportedly said, the Lord gave me a horse to ride and a message to deliver. Alas, I've killed the horse and cannot deliver the message. The thought is, had he stewarded his body a little bit better, he may have had more years in which to preach the message of Jesus. But what I'm saying is, sinfulness and the frailty of life and how your body is, you may not be able to do with your body what you like, which doesn't mean you can't know God. Don't hear me say that. You don't need a physical, physically well-functioning body to grow into godliness. Don't think being physically unable is a barrier to godliness, right? Never is. For some, healing in your body now may not be God's agenda for your life. But it doesn't mean you don't look after your body or neglect your body. There's this incredible verse in 3 John, chapter, 3 John 2, and you, you may never have read 3 John because it's such a small, short book, but John, who wrote the Gospel of John, is writing a letter to his friend Gaius. And in verse 2, there's not even chapters, it's just a few verses, he says this incredible thing, which I think which is what I'm trying to say, but he can say it so much better. I'll show you. He says, Dear friend Gaius, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. You go on to read the letter and Gaius is walking in the truth. He's spiritually healthy and fit. John celebrates that. And he says, Gaius, I pray that you'd enjoy good health just as you are enjoying a good spiritual life. He values a healthy body and a healthy relationship with Jesus. And he prays to God and asks God and asks God to continue Gaius on healthy in this life so he can continue to glorify God in whatever way he sees fit. And if you read 3 John, you'll see that Gaius is someone who welcomes traveling Christians to his home with open arms. John prays that Gaius would steward his body and soul well for God's glory. And you may be someone who has a chronic illness with frustrating limitations on your body and you've watched sickness ravaged a loved one and it's horrific and it's hard to imagine and I can't know what some of that's like and there may be no hope of bodily relief in your life, in this life. But God's vision for our body says this is not all there is. Because the incarnation of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is your hope. Regardless of how your body is today, the best is yet to come. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light momentary affliction are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is not seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's through faith in Jesus, who took on a body, that there will be a physical life to come without the relentless pain of this life. 
because he put on a body, he died in a body, to redeem your body, to live in your body, to one day give you a future with your resurrected body and himself. And that is wonderful. So we navigate each day knowing we're fearfully and wonderfully made, knowing we're temporary and fleeting and our bodies don't work as the way they would like and we struggle with how they look and we can't think properly, but we keep our eyes fixed on him because God's vision for our bodies does not end after 80 or 90 or even 100 years and that is wonderful news. May we glorify God in our bodies because he's bought them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your vision for us includes our bodies. And we don't give that enough weight sometimes in our thinking. We don't wish to make us, our bodies, into a God or anything like that, but we wish to acknowledge that you love all of us, even our bodies, came to redeem them and give us hope. May the pleasures of this life remind us there's greater pleasure in you. May the physical, mental, struggles and limitations in our bodies remind us that you have us in your hands, that Jesus knows what it's like to struggle with his body, that we can find righteousness and hope in you, in his wounds, not what's happened to us, and be reminded that the best is yet to come. A life that goes on for eternity with you in your presence. That's the Christian, wonderful, joyful hope of the gospel of Jesus. And so, Lord, just encourage us in this and move us one step closer as we wrestle with what it means to have a body that doesn't work how we want. But that's no barrier to godliness. So however our bodies are today, may we steward them well and may we grow in godliness. And I pray, as John did, that we will grow in godliness and enjoy a good body so we can continue to grow in godliness too. May you be given the glory. Amen.